Hello everyone and welcome to the very first Total Guitar podcast. Uh, it's a monthly show dedicated to talking about what Total Guitar magazine is covering uh, with gear, players, news, technique and it's also going to be a general place where the team can talk guitar and general nonsense. Um, we're going to have some special guests along the way uh, so if you're into guitar this is a great place to visit. You're going to hear some of the gear we're reviewing and also hear some exclusive interview clips with players that we're meeting. Um, we also have some great tips from our techniques editor to help you play better. Uh, my name's Rob Lang, uh, I'm the content editor on TG, and with me is Total Guitar editor Stuart Williams. Hello. Uh, techniques editor Chris Bird. Hello. And MusicRadar.com's guitar guru Mike Astley Brown. Hello. So first of all, before we get into the new issue, um, let's talk about what's been going on in the guitar world. Um, and it's been quite an eventful few weeks. <coughs> First up, we've got PRS, who have launched the uh, John Mayer Silver Sky guitar to some quite mixed reactions, I would, I think it's safe to say. Well, how can you have a mixed reaction <laughs> to a Strat? <laughs> how can you have a mixed reaction it's to not, a Strat? It's not a Strat, Chris. No, it's Fender makes Strats. Indeed, no one else makes Strats. With a capital it's a, S. It's a double cutaway with three single coil pickups and a PRS headstock. And a bottleneck. I think it's it's always interesting when something like this comes up because obviously it's inspired by the Strat. Um, John Mayer had a long relationship with Fender, which uh, came to an end. Um, won't say any more than that, I guess. Um, and people are really annoyed that PRS have done a guitar that looks a bit like a Strat. It's got a PRS headstock, reversed per John Mayer's specifications. Um, but so many companies make guitars with similar body shapes. I mean, PRS True. saw it themselves, the single cut, which uh, Gibson sued unsuccessfully over. Um, and why are people so upset about it? Why indeed? Why indeed? I think PRS caught controversy a little bit and I think maybe a little bit of that is because that they were initially quite a high-end kind of product and I think they because of that people have a certain expectation of that company and they always have as you say it's the same with the single cut um, do you think that they would have had quite so much criticism leveled at them if, if maybe the the kind of marketing release and all that kind of info wasn't quite so, mm. you know, years in the making and, yeah. and like all that sort of stuff. It's kind of, you know, I mean, what what is really the problem with them doing a, a Strat styles, you know, single coil loaded guitar for John Mayer? I think a lot of people are saying, you know, that they've just paid him a load of money and they're courting this kind of poster boy for guitar or whatever, but I don't think that's really fair because, you know, his, his relationship came to the end came to an end with Fender and uh, you can't really blame a company like if you've got one of the biggest guitar heroes of the last 20 years knocking on your door wanting to make a guitar with you you're going to make it if they if he wanted a flying V they'd have made it I think do, do you think it's against the ethos of PRS though that who have who have worked hard to kind of establish their own identity mm. in guitar world do you think it might be seen by some people as a step back is it any more of a step back than, than doing a single cut guitar that got them sued mm. I mean fair point I don't know man like I, I, I don't really know which side of that fence I sit on well, really with, with with this guitar well, it... plen plenty of people on social media <laughs> um, do know what side of the fence they're sitting on um, 
we here's just some reactions. Um, the headstock just doesn't go with the body at all. Another one. Uh, what did PRS do that Fender couldn't for him? Another overpriced strap, as far as I'm concerned. Uh, another one. So they took a strap, put a PRS neck on it. Uh, now charging three grand for a strap. Brilliant, but not for this cat. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, it goes on. Um, but you know, over on um, uh, even on our social media, someone said, uh, "Let's see and hear one before passing judgment." Fair point. Um, another one said, "Don't get me wrong, I like PRS." But if he wanted a PRS Strat alike, could he not have gone for an EG or a 305? Well, you'd have to ask him about that. Um, and yeah, some more positivity on Mayer's Facebook. Uh, to, to all you people complaining about it looking like a Strat, play a new Strat, then play a PRS guitar. The SE PRS guitars feel better than the lower end American Fenders. So I bet this plays and feels heavenly. Um, and uh, people saying lots of negativity here. Dig the guitar, John. I'm a strap man myself, and I had always thought it would be cool if PRS did their take on a strap. Can't wait to play it, and thank you for not putting a humbucker in the bridge. So, um, yeah, a lot. There's a lot of negativity about it, but um, I think what, but the that other was thing, some of the positives. Yeah, I, but I think well, another thing that people with the negativity are forgetting is that Sir and Tom Anderson. I mean, there's plenty of companies that make high-end strat style. Guitars. This is this isn't a new thing by any means, um, but yeah, I agree with the sentiment that it's not what we've necessarily come to expect from PRS, whose uh, guitars have traditionally, when they've taken on a traditional blueprint, they've they've made their own twist on the on the sort of formula. I think the single cut definitely has something that distinguishes it from a Les Paul, uh, whereas this, the outline probably does look maybe more similar to the Strat than any other. PRS guitars have looked similar to their inspirations. Do you think part of it is Mayer himself being quite a divisive um, musician for people? Um, most guitarists can't deny he's got a lot of talent as yeah. a player, but some people don't dig his songs or his personality or his, his image. I think you bundle that in with the fact that PRS divide opinion as well. You know, mm. I mean, they're great guitars. Mm. I've owned them. Chris, you've had one. I you've still got one. Have one. Yeah. yeah. So, sadly, no bird inlays, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I love it. It's a C24 from '99. It's um, brilliant guitar. Still plays brilliant. And the intonations, some of the, some of the best intonation on a guitar I've ever played. Yeah, and that's yeah. a yeah. standard off the shelf, as it were. Yeah. C24. Now we always say it with the stuff we get through here. It's it's hard to fault anything PRS put out because it always does play spectacularly well. I think it's going to get interesting once we see people reviewing them next to Stratocasters, yes. isn't it? Once you see a, a, a line-up of three guitars, single coil, double-cut guitars, tremolo, all lined <coughs> up together, get a review of the three and see how they compare. But when you get to that price point, is anyone going to be wanting to fork out for something that doesn't have Fender on the headstock? If they're looking for a Strat. Well, it does come with the gig PRS bag. Comes with <laughs> it does come with a gig bag. The thing is, as well, is that it it's choice as well, isn't it? Like, not everyone wants to play particular brands. And what I was going to say is that PRS divide opinion, then you've got John Mayer also divides mm. opinion. It's like this kind of perfect storm. Perfect, yeah. yeah. And, and the thorny issue of signature guitars as well. 
lot of people don't want to play a guitar with a player's name on it either. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. But um, PRS are doing a lot of great stuff elsewhere. They had a really good NAM, didn't they? Um, the Tremonti amp. Can't wait to play that one. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it's not all I like the show for me, yeah. Um, yeah. So well, time will tell. Um, I think we've got to wait and see. I mean, that guitar by by its nature is not really the kind of thing we're going to be looking at in TG. Just because of the price point, it's not yeah. really what we yeah. focus on, isn't it? But imagine how many of them they're going to sell when they, if, if they do an SE version. Mm. That would be interesting. Them. That mm. would be interesting to see how, how that does. Um, so, well, moving from one controversial subject to another, um, we've got all that's been happening with Gibson. Um, and uh, there's been a lot of coverage on musicradar.com from, from Mike and the team on that. Um, and it's been uh, another one where there's been a lot of negative uh, commentary on social media. People uh, don't like change, Rob. Yeah. Yeah. Can can you can you recap some of what's been going on? To recap briefly, Gibson have had uh, warnings that if they don't repay their debts by uh, I think it's May, um, they will incur an additional debt. So it's not a rosy situation financially. Um, Henry Juskovitz, the CEO, has uh, started uh, spring cleaning, as he's called it. Um, he's laid off, um, well, the company's laid off a number of staff at the custom shop. Um, and the Cakewalk Music Software has been sold over to Bandlab Technologies. Um, and who knows what's going to happen next, basically. Um the reports that some investors want Henry out of the company. Um, Henry himself has uh, given an interview to Billboard and said, guys, just nobody likes change. Nobody wants yeah. innovation. Yeah, he ruffled a lot of feathers with that, <clears throat> didn't he? Yeah, um, he's, he's sort of all, almost felt like the guitarists themselves were being blamed. Mm. Um I mean, there's a there's a huge topic of conversation there alone. I mean, we we often talk about it in the office, you know. Yeah. The, the, the his, designs that are still iconic come from the 50s. Yeah. His perception of the issues that are being raised um, on our social media is, is there's a disparity there. Um, a lot of people complaining about the high prices and uh, with Gibson and feels a bit of a sweeping statement to talk about their um, quality control, but that's another thing that comes up. Um, so I, I think it's a bit strange that he's come out with this kind of uh, defiant attitude about players not being open to change. I don't I don't know why they can't do both, um, like Fender do, where they're very reflective of their past, but also innovating. Uh, uh, I thought it was quite a strange... Uh, I think it's not just change, is it? it like... Some things don't need to change. Mm. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? True. Like if, if, if you're someone who's grown up watching people play Les Pauls and that's what you've dreamt of owning and when you find when the day comes when you're actually able to buy one of those, you wanna buy the one that you grew up dreaming of. Mm. You yeah. don't wanna buy the one with like a weird squiggled signature or like tuners that Yeah, robotic yeah. tuners, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, mm. and there's a place for that stuff, but it isn't as a main focus for the company. No. Would you would you argue? You know, um, well, clearly not. Yeah, mm. but you know, it's tough. It must be really it, designing guitars for Gibson or Fender or anyone with heritage. Must be one of the hardest jobs in the world because every year Nam rolls around, 
and they've got to have something to show. They've got to mm. come out and yeah, and show some cool stuff. Although Gibson weren't there this year, so maybe they don't. But um, you know, you, you people expect the wheel to be reinvented while still being the same nice round wheel that is always been. Yeah, you know, like guitars, it's hard. guitars different to any other kind of um, industry area. Yeah, it's not like Henry like in you know he was talking about cameras. It's it's not the same thing. No. Um, people demand. Uh, change and innovation. Mm. Um, well, you know, there's no <coughs> doubt that the 59 Les Paul is still held up as some this this holy grail, whether it is or not. Mm. Um, so I don't think you can have a kind of absolute approach to it. And uh, yeah, I was I was a bit surprised. I don't know if he was badly represented there or whether that is his true opinion. But um, again, um, a lot of reactions on Facebook on the Facebooks. Uh, uh, from our Facebook um, kind of sad in a way to think it's quite possible to see a giant go down like this um, especially when by all appearances it was totally avoidable um, that might be a bit early to say that um, I mean Henry and some reactions to Henry saying the industry is stuck in a time warp um, one of the comments was there is nothing wrong with innovation but when you introduce something new and people don't like it because they like your previous product that's a sign there is a problem with the new product and not the consumer needs. A surefire way to damage, uh, further damage the name is by blaming the customers. That's quite a, a good point, I would say. Um, so yeah, uh, there was countless uh, comments on this and a lot of them echoing the same thing, um, not agreeing with what Henry was saying. I think uh, the thing is everyone ultimately wishes Gibson well at the bottom yeah, of their absolutely. hearts they want they want to see the company come back launch a load of models Les Pauls slightly lower price tags with great quality control and you know you pick one up the shelf and you're like this is a Les Paul this is awesome yeah absolutely they're uh, not going to go bust though are they I mean even if they do well they might go bust but yeah. Gibson is not going to disappear like no, if they go too, out of business too big the to Gibson fail. name will be yeah. bought and True. still be surely yeah, you know, yeah, a thing. But you know, you just got to hope that if that, even if that is going to happen, we don't know what's going to happen yet. But if that does happen, you just you have to hope that it doesn't end up in the hands of a company that's going to turn it into something completely different to what it yeah. even is now. You know, and yeah, I mean, like you said, the reason people get so angry about this stuff is because they they love these guitars. Yeah. And that's all it is. I think the vitriol comes from. Ultimately, a loving place, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> Next up, some news that's much closer to home for Total Guitar and um, and the other magazines here at Future, um, and that's the return of the Guitarist of the Year competition. Um, Stu, can you tell us a bit more about what that that means? I can. So, Guitarist of the Year um, and Young Guitarist of the Year as well it used to be um, kind of annual guitar competitions. I think it was annual. Um, held by our sister magazine um, Guitarist and it spawned the careers of some pretty big names over the years not least uh, Mr Guthrie Govan um, Dave Kilminster as well he's played with um, uh, Roger Waters Roger Waters and yeah. Steve Wilson yeah and of course uh, tutor in uh, Guitar Techniques yeah um, sister magazine yeah and yeah so it's coming back um, the final of the competition is going to be held at um a brand new guitar show that yeah. um, that TG guitarist uh, Music Radar and Guitar Techniques are going to be 
um, putting on later on this year. Uh, that's um, that's the UK on, guitar show. The UK mm-hmm. guitar show happening yeah. at the end of September, the 28th and 29th. Um, but for now, uh, if you'd like to be involved, or you know, this this sounds like something you'd like to to try and enter. Um, it's really easy. All you got to do is make a quick video of yourself playing um, a piece, upload it to YouTube. Uh, and send us the link. So we've got an email address here. If you can just email your links over to guitarist of the year at futurenet.com um, with uh, guitarist, young guitarist, or acoustic guitarist. Yeah, it's three categories. Three categories in the subject header. Um, and let us know which one you're entering. Then um, that's it. You'll you'll be entered. Um, We're going to have some some big name judges involved in this later on as well. And uh, there's more info on all of this in uh, the current issue of Total Guitar. Um, if you look in the uh, the monitor section, and along with some tips or for entrance about uh, you know the kind of things you should be trying to do with your entries. And uh, yeah, there'll be also be a lot more info coming out about this this big show that we're going to be involved with. Um, uh, we're going to talk about that in a later podcast. Yeah, definitely. Um... Yeah, so get your entries in. And, good luck. Uh, and good luck. Mm-hmm. So moving away from, from the music instrument uh, industry, uh, elsewhere in the world of guitar, we've there's been some um, some other interesting things going on. Uh, Matt Bellamy um, was talking to the BBC um, and said that uh, along the lines of that he thinks that the, um, the guitar's kind of days as a lead instrument uh, might be numbered and it's more of a textual instrument now I don't know if he was referring to the mainstream um, and also that you know kind of suggesting that to remain viable it needs to be rock needs to be blended with things like hip hop and um, and uh, other genres <laughs> <laughs> sorry I'm like, I only know rock well <laughs> um, so yeah I don't know if it <clears throat> if he's just being realistic or if he's just not listening to the right bands um it's odd having that come from someone who is in the position to influence that yeah and he's he's right at the top of the tree isn't he and maybe he's a little bit far removed from the roots if he's right at the top yeah you know like guitar only becomes a textural instrument or not a lead instrument if if lead guitar players or you know guys like him who are very kind of bombastic with their playing only becomes textural if people like that allow it to mm. you know mm. um, I think it's interesting if you look at a lot of the innovation that's happened in the industry over the you know past 10 years or whatever, a lot of it is in pedals and, and effects so for the guitar to evolve into a kind of textual instrument to kind of keep up with the synth revolution of the 80s and things like that um, points to a longer life for guitar than I think a lot of pundits are sort of have been indicating in the mainstream press. So in a way, I think it's kind of a good thing. Um, but I do think it's incredibly odd to come from Matt Bellamy, who's sort of seen as one of the 21st century's guitar heroes, really. And well, innovators as well. Yeah, right? yeah, totally. Both yeah. In, in his playing and his, you know, his... The, his actual guitars and the, his use of effects and mm. stuff like that. But it's funny because you say about like the effects thing, I always kind of think that, you know, I grew up reading TG and I'd find pedals in, in the mag and I'd be like, what, you know, what, what does that sound like? What's it going to do to my guitar? And I think like 
maybe in the 90s the onus was more on making your guitar not sound like a guitar in a kind of Tom Morello mm. sort of vein whereas now the whole pedal thing seems to be centred around giving you cl- more classic tones and more organic yeah. and all that sort of stuff but you know there is still kind of crazy stuff going yeah on. I agree with that I, I'm, I'm thinking along the lines of you know like polyphonic octavers and sustained pedals mm. and, and all that kind of stuff which just turns your guitar into sort of yeah like a pad kind of textural mm. thing um, but I do agree that the pedal market is becoming saturated with overdrives that's uh, <laughs> fun, fun, fun thank you um, but I'm just going to read Matt Bellamy's quote um, so we we don't take it out of context um, uh, he said uh, to the BBC that the guitar has become a textual instrument rather than a lead instrument and I think that's probably a good thing. And he elaborated, what's exciting about this period of music is you can mix classical with hip-hop and rock in the same song. As a rock band, you're slightly one foot in the past, playing instruments like guitar, bass and drums. Um, but that's so, nothing new, though, is it? No. Mm. Blending genres and... I think that's... that's been, oh, it's been happening I think years the, like, years. the fact that people, or, or maybe younger people, li- listen less to, to albums in their entirety and more to Spotify playlists and single tracks will encourage them to kind of not just stick to one scene or subgenre. Um, so I think maybe what you're saying there is reflecting that. But I do think that, that bands, uh, it's a self-fulfilling prophecy when big bands talk like this and they've got a responsibility to take out smaller guitar-driven bands and introduce them to their fan bases mm. and their crowds because they're not getting played on radio in the daytime and um, they need that exposure. I think they have to pass the torch. So I hope that he keeps that in mind. That but he could argue that he's passing the torch in a different direction. To yeah, mm. yeah. Else. if he believes that straight guitar-driven music is out of step <clears throat> with what people want, then yeah. But I believe that a lot of people still want that mm. and uh, that they need avenues to hear it. Um, and it, it can't just be online. You know, there's a, there's a wealth of bands out there fighting for attention. So it needs the media to support it. Um, because there's a lot of really good young guitar bands out there so um, it'd be nice to see them getting a bit more um, support from from larger bands mm. Muse did take out Nothing But Thieves on tour yeah of course, that is true and is, that did wonders or, yeah, or, yeah, yeah. It must have helped them a lot playing, playing stadiums yeah. so elsewhere Tool are officially in the studio this is you know this is not a drill they are <laughs> they are in the studio they have been pictured in the studio with Joe Barese, who they've worked with before. Um, is anybody tired of waiting? I, I, I will always wait for tour. Um, <laughs> hopefully it'll be worth the wait. Um, it's going to be, isn't it? I mean, yeah, it's going to be good. It's got to be good. Could you imagine, though, if it wasn't? <laughs> I, can't, I, I can't entertain the idea. It's it, Yeah, it's, it's so impossibly delayed. And I mean, Maynard's worked on so much stuff in that time. Well, the rest of the band have been relatively quiet. Danny Carey had um, Legend of the Seagull, of course. Um, but you've heard the new Perfect Circle. Yes, I have. Um, and uh, I recently uh, talked to uh, Perfect Circle guitarist and founder member Billy Howardale about about the album. Sorry, um, I, just, I thought I heard something dropped. Oh, it's in there. <laughs> They drops are allowed if it's in the mag, it's, it, yeah, and that'll be in a in a future um, issue of the mag. But there was um, there was some of the conversation that um, that we couldn't fit into the interview, 
and part of that was Billy's past as a as a guitar tech um, for bands like Smashing Pumpkins, Tool, um, Nine Inch Nails, and he even uh, worked on the David Bowie tour. So it, I talked to him a little bit about that and how that might have informed his his career. And uh, we're going to hear that clip now. When you were a tech, were you subconsciously taking notes on um, watching the way certain bands and then you worked the Pumpkins or did you, yeah. did you work for Bowie for yeah. a long time yeah yeah um, were there but certain things Reeves you... guitar Reeves Cabral's guitar tech, yeah but yeah were you kind of watching the way they worked and kind of yeah. what things yeah. could go wrong and for sure yeah yeah for sure I mean in many ways I mean a lot of times I was looking at what I didn't want what I didn't want more than what I did, you know, like what, what behaviors did I not want to fall into to be a mess? You know, I mean, it really kept me probably on a, a clean track of being around a lot of, I didn't need to prove myself around that. I was, I was fine with saying if there was, if there was Coke going around in the room, I could just easily walk out of the room. You yeah. know, I just didn't feel like I had anything to prove at a young age, and that was important. You know, yeah. I could. Um, there's that side of it. There's finding the right people to represent you, whether it's management or accounting or promoters, and you could hear people's complaints. I didn't even have to interview them, or you just absorb this. You know, yeah. um, from the people around you that you work for, and so yeah, it was a learning experience in many ways as far as work ethic goes and what's possible how to really make a record you know it was very taboo especially when I started I mean I started in the late 80s and uh, or mid late 80s and you know to make a record was just such a um, this coveted secret thing that you you know mere mortals really didn't have access to you know you had a record deal and all this money and and so being around bands that just had it going on, I didn't even want to ask questions because I didn't want to come off like that guy who was just trying to climb the stairs and use them as a, as a stepping stone. Yeah. Because I really did enjoy what I was doing, but wanted to make my own music too. And until it was after the Bowie tour, that's when I saved up enough money and I said, I'm going to make a real run for this. I'm 26. I'm going to do it, you know. And... Um, and I wound up working for Guns N' Roses in the studio, and it really—I really went in there, kind of kicking and screaming, didn't want to go, and they just kept making it financially worth my while. It's like, okay, I can't not do it, and and then I kind of, you know, got emotionally involved with the project, really got got on with Axel really well, and wanted to see it through. So it was just one of those things that then all the stuff I'd learned in, this, in on the road now became, I was given this opportunity in the studio to bring computers into their world. They didn't have any computers in okay. Guns N' Roses recording that record. So, and I only had limited experience from working with Nine Inch Nails and a little with Bowie, and I had a laptop, and I was recording at home, but I didn't have a full-blown Pro Tools rig. I couldn't afford it. So mm-hmm. it really gave me, you know, in a way, it was wonderful as a paid to be the computer guy to learn along the way, but really had an un, almost unlimited budget too. Wow. So that was, it was yeah. good, but I had a lot of people around me that knew a lot. Charlie Klauser, yeah. who was in Nine Inch Nails and then got into film composing, 
uh, Scott Humphrey and Sean Devin and all these people I knew from other bands that I've worked with, I got to then drill them on how to make that all work. Um, so that uh, we've covered some news. Are we are we also going to talk about the other news that's dropped um, about Niles Beret? This is, this is breaking, isn't it? Yeah, this is this is breaking, fairly breaking. Um, uh, Niall Rogers is getting into the hat game. Um, he's always been a fan of Beret's. Um, anyone who's seen him in recent years would know. Um, and he's going to be making his uh, his own signature Beret's. Um, do you have any more details on that, Stu? Not really. I mean, he announced it on his Instagram. Um, but, you know, this isn't his uh, first rodeo with, uh, <laughs> in the beret game. He, it looks like he, you know, he's he been trying out a few kind of prototypes here and there. Is he, is he sticking with Kangol, his uh, preferred brand? No, no, no. No, it's, it's personalised. Oh, it's his own brand. his name on the front. But, oh, wow. Um, he spent a year getting the, the size Kangol right. would be furious. The it's, the, it's, yeah. it's, the, it's the result of over two years of, of uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it's definitely not a Kangol hat, all right. It's not. It's inspired by a classic. Yeah, I mean Samuel Jack. Um, you know Samuel Jackson's hats. It's yeah. inspired by, one of them, <laughs> but it's not one of them. All right. We 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 love Niall. Um, big fans of Niall. Um, and you know this is this won't be the first uh, signature unexpected signature um, attire that we. We've seen. In, you know he's going to be Joel. looking pretty chic. <laughs> Chris, I'm furious because I was about to make that same oh, joke. So good times. times. Yeah. Good um, times. <laughs> didn't, didn't. It's all right. We're all family. <laughs> oh, good. Do you remember the Mamstein? Was it a Mamstein Sharpie? It was a Sharpie. Yeah. <laughs> That's got to be one of the oldest yeah. signature I think he had a humidor as well for cigars. I mean, that, that I can see. Yeah. yeah. Any other weird signature gear? Over the years, didn't Brian Fallon have some? He had some signature flat caps, didn't he? Yeah, he did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll talk more about him in a and, bit. But um, I know that he's not guitar. Well, he's guitar player. Uh, Chino from Deftones had signature socks at one point. So, of course, anything's possible. <laughs> We're in the wrong game, guys. Yeah. <laughs> if you've got any ideas for TG merch that you might like to see, then feel free to email us. Total Guitar. I've forgotten the email. <laughs> <laughs> Feel free to email us totalguitar at futurenet.com. Yeah. Um, you know, we, I think we'd probably a partridge style blazer, badge, pin, whatever. <laughs> we'll we'll still have a pair of socks. <laughs> yeah. yeah, anything you'd like to see us cover on these podcasts as well, um, within reason. We can't get. Um, we can't get Mamstein in in down in the office, but we can we can try. Um, Many have. <laughs> um, so, well, let's talk about the mag. Um, we, we met we met Ingway once, didn't we, in a car park? Oh, I didn't. No, I was not. I, I did. I did. We met Ingway. yeah. I just said Ingway. I meant Ingway. Mm. Yeah. It's good. Car park. Last time he was on the music radar, he was giving his interview from a Ferrari driving around LA. Nice. Just pretty bad. Rolex on each wrist. Yeah, yeah. Three Rolexes on each wrist, at least, surely. If it went under 60 miles an hour, what happened? <laughs> like speed like, is that speed like four just or? the interview ends <laughs> yeah that's it the answers aren't very good um, and, his, and of course Ingvay his top tip for shredding was eating bananas wasn't it it was in TG yeah yeah good advice bananas yeah good, really good, good for all all pursuits potassium equals shred yes Sorry. so uh, we just got the mag back from the printers hooray Mm. Um, we've got Smells it here. as good as ever. Um, it's on. Well, it'll be on sale by the time you hear this. Um, 
So, what? Where do we start? Where do we start? Well, we could start with the uh, the four fantastic free gifts. Yes, we're uh, we're giving Art away cards. this month. Art cards. They look amazing. We just got them, and even though we designed them and made them ourselves, it's quite often the case that you don't really appreciate these things until you get them in your hands. And yeah, it's awesome, man. It's really yeah. cool. So I can what, say that given that that I didn't do it. Well, Graham was responsible for the photography. Graham, Graham the artist, he is our um, designer. Um, Can you tell us what these cards are for the people at home that can't see them? Like like we can. We should just clarify. He's a he's a he's a designer on the side. He's really a base base (laughs) base stallion. Yes, we have a base player on the mag. Yeah, yeah. Um, But yeah, the art cards. What they are is four portraits of uh, of some really nice. Really beautifully shot guitars uh, on one side, and then you you turn them over, and there's um, some expertly crafted tab on the back uh, showing you how to play a riff or some licks in the style of uh, well related a, to that guitar, really. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Legends yeah. of their yeah. respective instruments. So there's a Les Paul. Is that a is that a '59 burst or that is a Gary Moore signature? I ah, think. Ah, right. Yeah, it's beautiful. Yeah. Mm. That is beautiful. And there's a strap, a uh, lovely um, black strap, um, strap, vintage strap. And, and we've uh, actually we've got a Nile Rogers style riff on there as well. So uh, yeah, yeah, strap. Don Yabare, yeah, exactly. Strap kings. Um, you know, so some Jimmy stuff to learn on there as well. Um, and then we've got a Gretsch sixty one twenty. So you can um, have a go at some Brian sets of stuff. And uh, yeah, the the telly uh, is uh, Tom Morello and Keith Richards. They're awesome, and if you don't want to learn the, the licks that are on the back, you can just hang them on your wall and put them in a nice frame and uh, just look at them. Really, they do look great. Yeah, they do. Yeah, really, real high quality stunners. One of yeah. them. Um, but so let's let's look at the the main topic of this issue, which is um, master rhythm and lead um, with over twenty exercises. A very um, overlooked skill in the world of guitar the best of both worlds you could say the best of both worlds definitely and I think it's uh, it's all too easy to fall into a rhythm or lead camp isn't it you know Um, I think the aim with this feature was to try and give you a bit of a rhythm a bit of lead but then blur the line slightly and say well what if you are the only guitarist playing in a band or if you're jamming on your own how do you sort of create a sound that's a little bit of both and isn't necessary either Um, so there's there's quite a lot in there to help you with that, I think. Yeah, and uh, Hendrix was obviously a, a a good example of a player that combined combined well, the yeah, roles. Yeah, absolutely, and it's sort of I think putting this feature together, you very much thought about bands with one guitar yeah. as opposed to bands with you know with two guitars. And it's yeah, kind of, it's almost like the two guitar bands. It's like they're, they're limited in some ways by by the twin. Role, it's like it's like that. It gets divided intentionally in a way, like mm. you know, Kirk kept in a box and kind of. yeah, yes, yeah. you, you live in your little pigeonhole. You kept know. in a box shape. Yeah, kept in a box <laughs> shape. Very good. Yeah, like Hammett and uh, Hetfield. Hetfield, uh, and he takes a couple of solos in Metallica, doesn't he? Yeah. He's a, he's I love great play, yeah. solos. Yeah, mm. yeah, very melodic. ACDC, um, the Shadows. You know, real kind of yeah. polarized rhythm yeah. lead yeah. relationships, and they don't meet in the middle very much. There's not much crossover there. I just find it weird with people, when I told people I was a guitarist when I was a teenager, they always go, oh, you're a rhythm or a lead player. I was like, both. Why can't I do both? <laughs> did, did anyone used to like look at the Argos catalogue when they were younger and couldn't afford to buy a guitar? 
and look at the guitars in there. They used to sound like lead guitar. <laughs> <laughs> what was that pointy headstock? I don't know, man. I mean, like, yeah, it was just a weird description of it. I can't just afford the lead thing. guitar, so I have to get the rhythm one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> was the Argus, Argus the rhythm one just sort of copy. stayed below the, the 12th fret like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> was that? wasn't that there I think it was like a strap copy yeah. I can't remember even who it was made by and it wasn't the company who made it's fault I'm, like it might have been like an encore or something like that but mm. it, it just seemed like some geezer at Argos had gone like oh, the listings editor had gone awry again tell the kids it's a lead guitar exactly. and we'll sell loads of them <laughs> but, um, yeah all my guitars are rhythm guitars yeah, that's, that's, your choice, that's your choice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're we're open to players on all. the dusty end. Yeah, people say there's no money above the 12th fret. <laughs> the, ca- the cash is all down there. True that. So I wouldn't know. <laughs> <laughs> what um, what songs can we learn in this issue? We haven't, st- we haven't finished talking about rhythm and lead yet. Oh, sorry. Some lovely I've chords in there to, to learn. And... <laughs> sorry, man. We'll cut that bit. Yeah. Are we still talking about the car feature? No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, learn to play. What what can we learn to play? Um, so, yeah, there's, there's a few bits and bobs in there. Um, the, probably the main tab is the one to draw your attention to, and that's um, White Room by Cream. Big, nice. uh, long, full tab. Um, monster track. Yeah, it is a monster track. We simplified it a little bit. Um, uh, you know the opening riff. I'm not going to sing it. I'm just going to sound like a fool if I sing it. So, you know. Thanks, Mike. I'm not even sure that's it. No, it's not right. song's that? No. Anyway, it starts with a layered up riff with, I'm not sure if it's two or three guitars playing all at once, but we've just tabbed the top line just to kind of make it easier and simpler to play along to. Otherwise, you're going to have multiple bits of tab and maybe be about 12 pages longer so just sticking to you know one guitar so that it's a simpler arrangement of, a, of an otherwise quite complicated tune but that's kind of our approach in TG is to try and keep things as simple and play alongable if that's a word it is now as play alongable as possible it's also like gig ready as well, isn't it? Really, it's it not is. like you have to choose which part you're going to play and figure it all out. It's just yeah, it's I know the song. Quick Boom. to read, straight in, yeah. and you can get playing. And uh, and if you are, you know, if you're the only guitar player in your band, which we're hoping a few people might be <laughs> this month, but it means that you can sit down and just and play along and play along with the, the audio track. Exactly. Presumably, it's Cream Heyday. Clapton was playing one guitar part anyway. He had the TG backing track. Yeah, I thought he might have done. <laughs> Um, I think, actually, if you look at um, videos of him playing on YouTube, he tends not to play it in the same way. I think he I think he might just play a power chord or, or a regular chord, rather, rather than so sort of three notes, three notes stacked up by yeah. different guitars. So quite a, he, he would simplify it himself, so there's no, there's no shame in doing that. If Clapton does it, if it's good enough for Clapton, you know, it's good, it's enough. good enough for God. God himself. Then, uh, yeah, probably good enough for everyone yeah, else. Exactly. So, um, Simon and Garfunkel, the box are in there as well. Yeah, that is uh, Rock School's arrangement. Now, we've been um, doing cool. some stuff with Rock School for quite a while. Um, the idea is that you can learn these songs to get your grades with Rock School. So, each one is set to a grade. So, instead of necessarily doing it, completely authentically, which might be a more difficult way of learning a song, 
they've simplified the arrangement in certain ways so that it conforms to their grade. Now this one's, I think this is grade six, if I remember right. Yeah, so it's, it's already, grade six, so it's quite it's quite a high level already. So I don't think there are actually very many compromises on this tune in terms yeah. of authenticity. It's quite a tough track to play. It's quite high tempo. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's not an easy tune, actually. How are you going to... How are you going to do that noise in it at home when the drum kicks in? That's <laughs> why so I can't do it justice. You know the noise I'm talking about, don't you? It comes after the Lila Lie bit. <laughs> there was a programme once about how they, they got the tunes for that, um, or they, how they got the sounds for that, um, that record and that song. It's fascinating. I can't remember how they did it now, but I think it involves some kind of a cathedral. Hitting I a could sheet, be wrong. A sheet of metal or something. Yeah. Who knows? Like, Let us know. <laughs> if you remember that BBC programme Rob saw. <laughs> and, uh, Are there any other noises that you, uh, that you don't you know, know how what noise I'm talking about? Don't you? The, uh, no, it's just a good story. Yeah. You know. <laughs> Do that again. Hang on, are we going to have to pay copyright for you keeping on doing that? No, it's that not is... accurate enough. It's not accurate enough. Um, and also... Uh, the Goo Goo Dolls. Yeah, that, that mental oh, tune. Iris. Cool. Mental. What's the tuning? That's the, yeah. Mm. Well, congratulations to anyone who could work it out, but it's B, Isn't it? B D D D D D, I think. Oh, the old favourite. Yeah, the old favourite. <laughs> Plenty of songs in that. B D D D D D. Happily, we've again kept it a little bit easier. We've done a little bit of the tab, the main riff, and we've done that in in the B D D D D D tuning. Mm. Is like a man? Is it like a mandolin on the on the original? I think there's a mandolin yeah. over the top. Right. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we've so we tabbed the the sort of the strummed intro in the B D D D D D tuning. So you can have a go at it if you like. Um, but for the rest, we've also given you chord shapes for the rest of the song in standard tuning, so that I think it, it would be it would be options. it would be crazy to try and do the whole thing in in that rather unusual tuning. It's the kind of thing that you experiment with <coughs> in the studio, isn't it? Mm. And, yeah, and, and then curse you yourself as you're about to sound. go out and play it live. Exactly. Yeah. You find a great sound in the studio, and you know you never play it like that again. I'm sure he does. I'm sure he does. But mind you, I reckon he's probably quite happy to just retune his guitar. I would be if I were in that I, song. If I made he's probably got his own special uh, Iris song, uh, Iris guitar set. Yeah, up. yeah. yeah. So uh, imagine if they played a gig and didn't play that. Um, well, we're on that subject actually. We're talking about kind of odd tunings and the way we present them in the mag. That's something that we get asked about sometimes, isn't it? Do you want to talk about that? Like why why we sometimes try and make things more standardised than than what they are? So um, yeah, I w one thing we do in particular is um, where guitars down tuned, we tend to present them in standard tuning. But it depends on where they're down tuned to. So if they're in E flat standard, we'd always tab them in E flat in E standard rather because. Uh, just well, if you've got if you've got a tremolo on your guitar, you know it's 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 a real pain in the rear end to have to retune just to play along. So we, you know, a, a song that's been recorded in in E flat is much easier just for most people to jam along upper semitone in E standard. Mm. Um, but we kind of break with those rules a bit once you get into altered tunings. Um, once you get into well low tunings, it's kind of the the whole character of the song is in a is it is fundamentally changed yeah, by the, yeah. like, the lowness of your guitar, and there's no point trying to do something that's in say you know drop C or drop B mm. and do it up in drop D, mm. and it sort of you lose the whole feel. Um, so 
in that in that scenario, we'd probably go authentic. But certainly anything that's in E flat, we'd go with go with E standard, um, just just for ease of use and save people having save people with tremolo arms having to having to worry about retuning. Really. Mm. It's good. I mean, yeah, I remember when I was learning from TG. I remember looking at the tabs and being upset and put off by like different tuned things just because I don't think I'm regular really tuning guitars. I don't know why I said upset. It was a really odd choice of word. I didn't mean to say upset. But, yeah, by the time you've tuned the guitar, you kind of think, oh. Because you're like, oh, but I want to learn another song after this, so now I'm going to have to tune it yeah, back up. Yeah, it does put you off a bit. Yeah, so I remember coming to TG and be like, oh, this is, this is good. Don't have to bother with any of that rubbish. It's definitely compelling. I was no longer upset as I seem to have been. I think it's been a <laughs> cheered you right up. Yeah. Oh, the comfort of standard. I mean, I don't want to say TG saved my life, but I was very upset. I've been saved, saved a few sets of strings, maybe. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, tunings are an interesting thing because they do open a lot of doors. Um, as the, you know, as the Google Dogs proved with this song. I don't know what came first, the the tuning or the idea mm. for the song. Well, but the song came out of a bout of um, of uh, I've forgotten the word. Writer's block. Writer's block. Thanks, Rob. Thank you. That was very it's speaker's block. Yeah. Podcast yeah. block. <laughs> speaker's block. Yeah. <laughs> uh, no, but, uh, he wrote the song after a long bout of, of writer's block, apparently. So uh, I, I don't know if he was, maybe was experimenting with the tunings and couldn't yeah, remember about it. Yeah. So uh, moving onto the artists' uh, side of things with features, starting with um, with Rig Tour, we've got Black Rebel Motorcycle Club. Um, Peter Hayes and Robert Levenbeen um, and they're quite a, a unique band in the way those two guys um, swap between the roles of guitarist and bassist and their rig is very unusual as a result um, and we've done our best to cover as much as we can of it but it's, it is an extensive rig um, so there's there's some really cool um, gear and they talk about the thing I love about Rig Tour is they talk about the thinking behind their choices and uh, the background on where they got some of the pedals. I know some of their fans bring pedals to gigs to give to them, which is quite cool, and they'll use them. Um, I've never had that happen. It's no, never happened to no, me I either. Wish, That's really weird. I'd it? play more gigs if that happened. Yeah. <laughs> um, What's cool, though, is to see that they, they've got some sort of more bespoke stuff, but a lot of it is it's just standard yeah. bus pedals, TC Electronics. And they look well used. Yeah, man. Some yeah. of the sturdiest pedal boards I've seen in a while, yeah, which they've still got a, an Akai headrush there as well. And yeah, you know some you know things like the Freeze and electro harmonics yeah. pedals. It's it's not all kind of crazy high end stuff. No, they're quite ambitious. It just shows you if you've got imagination and, and ambition, you can do some really cool stuff. But and generous is, fans. Yeah, um, it's it is quite a um, an extensive setup though that they've got there. It's cool the way they swap round as well. I think that's great. Yeah, you know, not being not being precious about you know sharing guitars and stuff. I think, yeah, I think a lot of guitar players play right. play a bit of bass as well, mm. or like own a bass, and you know I think it's something that is definitely worth yeah you know, being able to do if if you never kind of thought of that before. It's like mm. did I ever tell you about the guy that uh, that came into the shop where I used to work that that had been a guitar player for like twenty years and started playing bass. No, no, no. Yeah, he uh, he had like recently taken up bass and kind of came in one day and was like, yeah, yeah, I've got this bass and you know, like, oh cool, yeah, how, how's it, how's it going? You getting on alright? He's like, yeah, it's good, I like it, but oh, it's so different to guitar though, isn't it? And I, was, I said, well, 
like well yeah it's different but you know how what you're struggling with oh it's the tuning man it's just oh, it's getting me down I said what, what do you mean and he goes well I just tune completely differently isn't it <laughs> and he'd been tuning it backwards so starting like <laughs> with a G <laughs> on the lowest note <laughs> oh, <laughs> oh man he, uh, lean point, it <laughs> but then when uh, kind of like friendly pointed that out to him you know I think I never heard any more about it, so I guess he just (laughs) either gave it up or like, you know. Yeah, pretty tricky. Yeah. Okay. Well, moving on, we've um, we've got a a proper guitar hero in in the mag, um, um, in the form of Michael Schenker, and um, our writer Amit Sharma has done a great job, as usual, um, like he did with uh, Zach Wilde a couple of issues ago. Um, really picking the brains of these players and, and finding out what makes them tick and how they can inspire us with their, their approaches. Um, Michael's a really unique um, a unique player and the way he thinks about things is quite unique. He's uh, got some unusual metaphors in this interview. <laughs> and um, it's, a, it's a great shoot as well from Will Island. He's really, um, they obviously had a lot of fun doing that. So there's some, there's some great tips on him, uh, from him in that. Um, and obviously people like Hetfield, and Mustaine and Michael Amott from Arch Enemy look up to Schenker as a hero. Um, and uh, yeah, it's cool to hear hear what he's got to teach us. Cool. And um, we've also got a feature with Brian Fallon, who many will know from the from the Gaslight Anthem. I went to meet to meet Brian on on tour, and um, it, it was really cool. He was in a he's in a really good good place now with his solo career. Um, he's just released his second solo album, uh, Sleepwalkers, and he's been really working hard as a as a player. Um, he's playing a lot of finger style now, and we've covered a lot of of that in in the feature about. He's also started playing piano, and how that's affected his guitar playing, um, because learning another instrument can affect you as a guitar player in in good ways. Um, so it's very much about his his journey, how he's developed as a guitar player, and how um, Mark Knopfler's had a massive influence on him. But um, we also had a, have a look at his rig at the moment, which is a really kind of streamlined rig, um, a real contrast to, to Black Rebel Motorcycle Clubs. Brian's got some interesting things to say about gear because he's kind of gone on a journey where he's really honed in on what what he needs. Um, for, for what he does and that's that's really made his rig lighter in a way but he also had some really interesting things to say about gear that we couldn't fit in the feature and um, we've got a clip of that now um, and it's it's uh, it's it's actually he makes some really good points about well I'll let, I'll let Brian uh, say it best because the trick the real secret about pedals and stuff that I found is you can buy 900 of the same effects made by 100 different companies and none of it matters. If you buy the Ibanez Tube Screamer that costs 79 bucks, that's what I used on on handwritten, the $79 green TS9, like piece of junk, I bought it at Guitar Center. It sounds awesome. And you know what? We laid out every Tube Screamer they had in the store, the most expensive one to that one, and that one sounded the best. And the truth of it really is all this stuff all sounds the same. It's just maybe one's a little brighter, one's a little darker, one is a little more gain, one is a little less gain. But, but you don't need to fix that. It's your playing that will fix that. You need to spend more time 
practicing and less time looking at the stupid videos on the internet. Because you don't need to, and I'm guilty of this. I've been through it. I'm like an AA recovery pedal addict. I'm like for real, and that's not a joke. Like I was like legit addicted to buying pedals. Like I was like spending money that like I didn't have, and like you know it was. They really the. It's a funky thing, man. You know, like I don't know. I don't want to like bust up any pedal companies, but you know, just pick what you like. And buy that and then stick with it, you know? Just stick with it for six months and you'll figure it out. You, like, you'll find something, you know? Some interesting points there raised by, by Brian. Um, and he is, a, he is a big fan of, of, of pedals, of course. And he's, his choice is, you know, he's only got... How many, how many pedals on his board? He's got, like... Five. Five pedals, well, including the tuner, yeah. And um, they're very well-chosen pedals for what he needs, but... I think he he raised uh, quite an interesting point there about about the uh, the relationship between spending and and uh, diminishing returns. Please. I think so. I think some of that comes through the amount of choice we've got now. If you go back not very long ago, if you wanted an overdrive, you didn't have kind of crazy amounts of pedals to to go and choose from, and you know the go-to one would be like your Tube Screamer or your, your Boss OD. Exactly. Um, Whereas now it's there's just so many, like you said, it's saturated earlier on. Yeah. But um, you know, I think it's another thing as well is that everyone goes through this kind of gear hoarding kind of thing where you want to own one of every kind of guitar and one of every amp and all this stuff, and then you strip it back again mm. because you realise that you, you're just buying stuff for the sake of yeah. owning it almost. It's definitely one of those things where you kind of. You start convincing yourself, oh, I need one of them, I need that, and it's mm. like, well, hang on a minute, like, what? It, what's all this different kind of music that you're playing that's going to require like eight different pickup types in like your gear arsenal and all that yeah, stuff? Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I mean, you you play in a you know very kind of wide ranging covers band. Yeah. So. And and my pedal board's smaller than it used to be like ten years ago. Um, I I feel like I can relate to uh, to Brian's comments there a little bit. The recovering pedal addict things. I certainly went through that in my teens. Got really obsessed with phaser pedals. I can't tell you why, but I went through about ten phasers trying it's to just find the a right phaser. one. Yeah, exactly. And ironically, it was all inspired by Mike Einziger from Incubus. But um, cheers, Mike. Yeah, thanks, Mike. But yeah, I was running a massive board, and I yeah, I just felt like I had to have one of everything. I was always going to need this sound here, this sound there, um, and then it took you know like a good sort of five or six years to just figure out exactly what I used and what I needed. What's the biggest surprise in your pedal board that you've kind of ended up stripping it back and keeping like is there is there like an, a really affordable pedal that that you know you, you that you ended up after a big long journey back at like this kind of affordable pedal? I think the funny thing is yeah I'm, I'm like a lot of players of my generation started out on Zoom multi effects the old 707 and uh had a 505 505 Mark, Mark the no, was there an expression on that one did you no, take no, rp10 here rp10 mm. rob did you have a multi-effects i did i did i had a, I had a zoom and, and a digitech i had a boss as well actually both yeah. camps and, and now, boss. yeah wow. this is before they they came back in vogue <laughs> <laughs> well, on that note the, the the real surprise what, what so out of touch that you're <laughs> back in fashion 
very in vogue. Sorry, you were um, going to yeah, say yeah, yeah. That, yeah. yeah, and and I've I've ended up with a zoom pedal on my board, which is the um, MS70 CDR, which is the chorus delay reverb, but it just does tons of modulation uh, and delays and reverb, and that's kind of covered all the sounds I I want, which are used so occasionally. Super useful for recording, but I've just got a few patches I dial in for a little bit of shimmer here and there, bit of bit of flange when you when you need it, and uh, yeah, it kind of kind of does it for me. That said, my big box small stone that was the holy grail phaser for me, um, and that that stays not not the holy grail though. No, no, That's well, not the holy grail. No, <laughs> sorry, not the other electromonics pedal, the holy grail. No, the the phaser was uh, yeah, that was small stone. Oof. That gets used a lot on recordings at home. Oh, that's funny because I've I've started using one of those. You got and the, I never thought I'd use one. You got the nano. I'd, yeah, I'd, it hangs in the treble sweep too long. Oh, I had a nano. I, I'm new to the world. Yeah, of, you did. Of, of you haven't dived down the yeah. rabbit hole. Yeah, yet, yeah. Man. I don't hear hear those uh, those details. But, Cone um, filtering rookie. <laughs> but, <laughs> <Get out. laughs> but there's there's something to be said for making the best of what you have. Um, if you've mm. got a decent pedal, stay with it and try to try to find a way um, because you can't just buy your tone to a certain extent I think what Brian's saying is that the, the differences between some pedals is it's negligible really for most mm. people and a lot of it does come from your hands unfortunately so I wish <laughs> I could just buy myself better but, yeah it's um, hard it's time yeah. it's yeah. time and I know that he's put a lot of time into his <clears throat> how expressive he can be with his picking hand which is a huge a huge thing isn't it mm. putting down the pick and playing with fingers is quite a hard um, uh, change to make, and we've talked about uh, that in the in the feature as well. Yeah, it's interesting that he's um, referencing Mark Knopfler of all people. Perhaps mm. wouldn't have um, associated. Yeah, um, he's mm. quite open-minded. Yeah, we featured him quite a, you know, a kind of every era of his career so far, Brian in, in TG, and I think like one cool thing about him is that he's always been pretty open about that journey of kind of trying to develop his playing and. You know, just being open to putting in a bit of extra work yeah. and, and stuff like mm, that. You know, yeah. he hasn't just got to where he has just through luck and and you mm. know, a whim. Which which brings us to um, another little clip we've got of Brian, um, because it's uh, the tenth anniversary of um, the Gaslight Anthem's Fifty Nine Sound album, uh, their second album, which was a big breakthrough for them, especially in the UK. So I talked to him specifically about the guitar tone on that record because it's quite an interesting, um, quite an interesting approach that he had on it. Very fast. There was no, there was no like deliberation. It was very quick. Um, and I remember my dad had loaned me some money for a Telecaster, so I got that. I had the the basement that I built, and. Um, the, the, it was just the 59 basement, which is right, the yeah. 59 sound. You know, the, it was like literally like the 59 sound was the literally 1959 basement. So I just built one. And like I bought all these crazy parts and made it sound. And I kept going and playing through old ones in different stores, correcting. And then I would go home and correct mine to sound closer to that. And I kept doing it for two years before I got it right. And then when we got there, I had, again, guitar, compressor, Slap back into the into the amp clean, no overdrive. There's not a note of yeah, overdrive that's on my one guitar. Of the things that really struck me in the record at yeah. the time, it felt like it was completely different to what yeah. everything else was getting on. There's no yeah. overdrive. It's just dead clean. 
like that riff on 59 sound, it sounds massive in your head, in my head too. It sounds like ACDC, like, but it's not. It's just like, and it's dead clean. It's just me playing as fast as I can with yeah. the compressor on it. And it's like, that's the secret. But yeah. it sounds massive when it yeah, kicks yeah. in, right? Absolutely. That drum fill comes in and then boom! That's yeah. all clean. Yeah. Clean amp. I'm telling you, turn that gain down and just learn to play. Did that feel like quite a, a, a bold move at the time when you were like, uh. Yeah. It felt yeah. super naked. Yeah, it still feels naked. Like I just did Sleepwalkers the same way yeah. with the clean guitar, yeah. and I felt totally naked in the studio. I was like, are you serious, man? And. Because, you know, American Slang and next record was like Gain City. Yeah. We were like cranking our treble boosters, the whole, you know, and handwritten, again, Gain City. But we sort of went back to basics. And then, you know, because, yeah, it's naked. But it's massive. And that, you know, the funny thing now is like that I look about it is I always feel very fond about that record and that time and, and all of that stuff. And the funny thing is like, if I'm honest with myself, I just know I couldn't have done it now. And I'm so glad that I did it then because I know that that, that is a 25-year-old spirit, you know, yeah. like just burning. Yeah. Like there is nothing in That's like a Chevy engine. Like the, you can't replicate that when you're 38. No. And I mean, you, you know, some people could. I can't. Like that was a pure, innocent joy, insanity that just went off and I'm so glad that we caught it yeah. because I could never have done it now so I'm glad I had it then you know now the best I could do is play it for the people yeah. you know okay so we did talk about making the best of your gear but sometimes gear needs to be bought and uh, because it's too good not to uh, which which brings us to um, the review section in this issue uh, what have we got Mr. Mike Mr. Me um, well the uh, the big the biggie uh, this issue is the orange Brent Hines Terror which was unveiled at Nam, uh, which is the of course the uh, um, inimitable uh, Mastodon guitarists uh, take on uh, Orange's Terror format, um, and it is a beautiful sounding thing indeed if you are into crunchy riffs um, with uh, it's got two channels two channels. Um, Clean, dirty. Uh, the clean channel is uh, also fairly dirty, and it's really nicely voiced for a sort of metal clean. So if you're on a bridge humbucker, you don't need to switch over to another pickup, which is nice. Uh, and the drive channel is just ace. Let's talk about that switch on the back. You got headroom and you got bedroom. Headroom and bedroom. Um, cut, it cuts the wattage. So uh, on the front, you've got a half uh, and full from uh, 15 watt down 7 watts and then on the back you can cut that down further to 1 watt on full mode or 0.5 watts on half mode so uh, you want your, your high gain in the bedroom uh, you've you got it <laughs> I mean, it's just there there's, there's no medicine high gain boudoir yeah <laughs> um, yeah I mean we're seeing a few of these kind of things coming out at the moment now aren't we like when the whole lunchbox Tiny Terror mm. thing kicked off, which, you know, the Tiny Terror was kind of pretty did, much the, yeah. the catalyst for all that. But, you know, it seemed like it's very much aimed at people who wanted single channel, fairly clean to semi-clean, bluesy mm. little amps for at home. And the high gain thing took quite a long time for other companies to kind of join in and, uh, you know, and start offering that. And 
you know, I mean, what have we had? There's been stuff like the the PV um, sixty five hundred five. There's yeah. obviously yeah. like the the little um, EVH fifty one fifty. Yes. Um, Mesa Boogie did Mesa the, Boogie. the kind yeah. of mini rectifier yeah. and stuff like that. So and then you've got the, the Mark Tremonti head coming from PRS. Which was, um, you know, we were treated to a demo of that from, from Mark. From the man himself, himself yeah. Which, that was one of the best things we heard it now, yeah. without a doubt. Yeah, it was. So it's, it's kind of, I wondered, like, a couple of years ago, if maybe people had stopped wanting these kind of small valve amps, like lunchbox, I guess, like the... Mm. When I think of like the lunchbox head type thing, it's like normally a five watt or below mm. kind of idea for me. But it's like maybe we've settled at this kind of fifteen watt thing where it's like you could you could gig with that. Yeah, yeah. Um, definitely. It's practical for sort of modern venue noise restrictions now, I guess. It's, yeah. Well, I've, yeah. I've got the Hughes Gettner uh, tube meister. Mm. Yeah, and that's. I think that's the eighteen watt one, but it goes right the way down to I think it's half a watt and silent silent which is i kind of got it for that as much as anything which is a really convenient feature for if you do a lot of stuff at home i do a lot of home recording mm, yeah, yeah. And it's got a red box on it as well yeah it? that's that's precisely it yeah. so you so you just um you've got a, a cab emulated output from there and you know it's a proper valve tone without the issue yeah i mean the, that reason having to plug in very convenient yeah yeah it was one of the first channel switching lunchbox heads i think so players are basically demanding versatility. They don't just want an amp to gig with, they want a, an amp for the home and an amp that they can record with as well. Yeah. And it's quite it's just cool to see the amount of choice that they have. Um, from, Especially from these kind of prices now. as well. I mean, these are proper full-fat valve tones, you know, around the difference yeah. of 500, 600 quid mark. So. Yeah. Mm. so that's the Brent Hines uh, Terra from Orange. And it's also Orange's 50th... Uh, anniversary this year which we've, we've covered a bit in the news section mm. um, well done Orange yeah. yeah strength to strength good going yeah the future's bright <laughs> <laughs> next <laughs> uh, speaking of bright um, nothing's brighter than this desert sun yellow <laughs> finish which adorns the Ibanez RG550 so RG550, why does it matter that this guitar's back? Because it was like one of the first really, you know, decent quality but affordable kind of shred guitars. Mm. I mean, there's nothing kind of apologetic about it mm. at all. It's designed to do a job. Although they are really versatile guitars as well. Yeah, well, you've got the, you've got the single coil in the in the middle and, and yeah. the, the, the uh, five-way selector, so, you know. But, you know, like, they, they were... A real like um, sort of modern classic benchmark guitar. Of, mm. like, if, if you want a kind of a shred guitar, or just something that's going to work better for kind of playing heavier stuff, then that was the one to go to because it was affordable and good. You know, mm. it set the um, template for you know Ibanez designs for the next or twenty years at least. Yeah, um, but it it's back now. Yeah, I think the other thing as well is that it was um, it came out of uh, of Steve Vai's gem guitar as well. Um, it was meant to be originally like a sort of mass market version of that, minus the, the monkey grip. Yeah, and it's back. It's, it's here. Back. Eight ninety nine. It's here. So yeah, what, have they? What's, what's changed? They haven't. Have they? Very little, which is yeah, uh, a good thing. Still no yeah. grip. No, they haven't, they haven't turned it into a gem. But they've done that. They've done the, like a really affordable gem as well, haven't they? Now. Yeah, the gem junior exists as well now. 
um, which we'll be looking at soonish. Um, but yeah, it, it it is everything you want from a sort of bona fide shred guitar. And we shouldn't. We should also. I mean, it's eight hundred ninety nine pounds. It's not. We we're saying affordable. You know, mm. it's not. It's still a lot of money for a lot of people. You know, and we're not saying that it's like that's that's not pocket change. But what it is is a kind of a really decent, solid, dependable workhorse shred yeah. machine, isn't it? Really? Yeah. So um, it's gonna last. Yeah, especially in that colour. <laughs> I just realised no one can see the, the thing we're looking at. It's, it's bright yellow. It's um, bright yellow, yeah. No, I had a car that no, colour once. There's no debate about that. <laughs> did you? Yeah. Oh, yeah, you did. Yeah, yeah I did. We yeah. called it the canary, didn't we? we yeah, well, the yellow bullet was... Oh, the yellow bullet. Oh, yeah, sorry. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Moving okay. on. So next up, we've got the Yamaha Transacoustic. Now, this is the second kind of wave of these that they've done, isn't it? The, yeah. Like, again, this is the more, quote-unquote, affordable version, so... Again, they're not they're not cheap. Six seven six. Six hundred and seventy six pounds, but but lower than the uh, the original launch. Yeah, people may not know what transacoustic is all about, so we should talk a little bit about that because it's kind of crazy when you experience it. Yeah, it is. It, it kind of uh, blows your mind when you first hear it. To be honest, um, so basically, if you look inside the sound hole of these transacoustic guitars. Uh, just under the top, there are there's there's you'll see an elect see electronics basically, um, and this is an actuator. It's called, and it responds to vibrations of the strings as you're playing, and these vibrations uh, are pumped back through the guitar's body and uh, moving the air inside around. And somehow, <laughs> I know it sounds mad, that creates the effect or. Or effectively, it's almost been amplified with effects on it, and the two effects that this guitar can create are reverb and chorus. So it's a room reverb and a hall reverb option. But let's and just be clear: like you, in order to to create that, there's no headphones. It's not plugging no, anything it's, in. No, it's, it, you sit directly the guitar. The guitar. And you yeah, play so it's battery yeah. power. It creates its own reverb around you. And yeah, chorus yeah. around you. It's it's so weird when you first. Try yeah, it's it. it's, a, it's quite a strange sensation to sort of experience it. Yeah. But and kind of cool for you know for playing at home, especially you know if it, most houses don't have great acoustics and that kind of thing. So to be able to kind of just pick up an acoustic guitar and then apply those kind of big mm. roomy effects. To yeah, it. the is, reverb especially is is really inspiring. Is this um, um, proprietary Yamaha technology, or can we expect other manufacturers to start bringing out their I own? I don't. I mean, I think like transacoustic is like they use it. It's one of their kind of. It's on pianos originally. Yeah, they're using it in in pianos and, and stuff like stuff like that. Yeah, I mean there are there are other uh, technologies uh, in being developed um, similar to this, um, but at the moment Yamaha is the sort of market leader. Mm. Transacoustic yeah. tech, and it, it really does need to be tried um, mm. to to be understood in a way. We can describe what it does, but it it's great to to hear it in action, um, and it is really addictive. Uh, when you know, I spend a little bit of time with it, and just having reverb on it, it does in, it does encourage you to play more, and it as songwriters especially will really enjoy it. And it's it's the the reverb, um, like the room reverb, is great for finger picking. Um, it just adds a lot more gravity and uh, gravitas. Sorry, not gravity. Uh, lots of gravitas to your playing. Um, it just uh, it's added sense of drama to whatever you do. Mm. It's really cool. 
and you can take it anywhere with you. You can take it on holiday. Um, a bit disappointed that these uh, that this model doesn't have a gig bag with it, but um, if you've got a gig bag, you can take it anywhere you want. <laughs> <laughs> Did you find it, it like sort of encouraged you down a certain path once you put that reverb on? Uh, uh, yeah, I was, playing and... I was definitely um, playing uh, fingerstyle more because I felt like it was rewarding me a bit more. Um, I should also add that this guitar can be used as a standard electroacoustic on stage. You can plug it in and add those effects through a PA um, or an, an amp combo, acoustic amp combo. So it is usable as a guitar in a standard way, but obviously you have those onboard effects as well. And it has a level button um, and pressing that in also activates the transacoustic mode. Right. Um, it's so, cool, yeah. man. When you when you get a piece of gear, like we get lots of gear coming through the doors here and the best kind of new gear I always think is the one that you kind of pick up and it, it you start immediately creating something or mm. it inspires you to want to play more and like not everything does, but when it does happen it's like yeah. it's the coolest thing. Yeah, mm. you can't I don't know if you in some ways you can't put a price on that. Obviously you know, there's budget people's people. How's that for a price? <laughs> but it's worth it's the value of this guitar to you, you know, it, it's not it's not solid wood construction like the first transacoustics, but the value of it to you will be dependent on what you think of this technology and how inspiring you find it. And you can really only discover that by playing it. Um, so I'd recommend anyone who's interested in it to go down to the guitar shop and try it out at Yamaha Stockist. Yeah, man. And if you're in London, you can go to their yeah. big Yamaha Music, Music London. London, which is like a crazy place. But, uh, Everything Yamaha, you know, put out yeah. in the last few years, yeah. Yeah, Line Six, of course. Yeah, of course, but, yeah. of course. Speaking of things that inspire you straight away, we also have a baritone roundup. <laughs> oh, and uh, <clears throat> playing the baritones, yeah. It, I really need to buy one because every time we get baritones into the office, I get very excited because I can play a nice open E chord and it sounds different to normal and heavy <laughs> and massive and I just feel like I can just get more mileage out of my limited chord vocabulary and lick ability. Uh, I can help you if you need to buy one I can help you with that. Stu's been trying to flog yeah. me his baritone telly for uh, six months. A, a little while, I might, I might a little relent while. I might relent as well watch this space. <laughs> you got him on you got cool. it on that's, that's on recording. What did we say? It was 400, wasn't it? I think. No, it definitely wasn't. <laughs> I mean, there, there are players out there that use baritones in the studio to like um, to beef up their their sound and, and give them like a, a, quite a low range foundation to their guitar mm. sound, which is quite an interesting way of using it. Joe Cantrell told us that, of course, a few yeah. years back. So it was the, the uh, well, yeah, yeah. Alison Chain yeah. Studio yeah. secret. Ah, and there the, you go. Um, Spilled. I think wasn't it on the um, like on wasting light that was pretty much exclusively all Pat Smear did as well when he yeah, came really? back onto food yeah oh. he played baritone yeah okay. well, you got three guitarists I mean more than before you play a baritone yeah, yeah. that's just that's just that's just <laughs> me you know? yeah yeah so so what's on uh, review just to to quickly go over this um, we've got PRS SE two seven seven Gretsch. Uh, G5265 Electromatic Jet, which is uh, one of the, uh, the black sparkle finished ones, which looks insane. Um, Dan Electric 56 uh, and Chapman's ML1 Modern Baritone, which is the, the cheapest on offer. So, four very different guitars. It just mm. proves how much variation there is um, and that 
baritones aren't this like heavy metal thing that mm. some people no, might think. No, you can't pick out a favourite there, can you? Because you, you know, I'm, I'm immediately drawn to the Gretsch, but mm. it's a it's a certain type of guitar. Yeah, and you know, I'm also looking at the Chapman there, and that looks really, really nice, but a completely different kind of guitar. That would yeah, completely much, different much style. Much to, to, yeah, yeah, different style of music altogether. So you, you could buy both if you had the money. But what you were saying a minute ago about the, um, you know, it's not just for heavy music, or it's not just for kind of like. Mm. You know, vintage surf rock stuff it's kind of it's become so much more um, kind of like mainstream I guess to, to be able to use one of those and yeah it's, it goes back to what we were saying earlier on about choice I mean there's you know there's four baritones there and they're all kind of you know they've all got their own thing going on but they're all versatile as well and yeah man it's, yeah. it's a lot of fun playing them it is it's something I'd encourage any player to pick up like like picking up a bass yeah, you you don't know where that's going to take you, really. Yeah, we don't want to encourage too much bass playing. We don't want people going over to the the bass magazine. So yeah, if you're you know not into baritone, um, our uh, fixture guitar guy Jack Ellis this month has got a guide on how to kind of set up any guitar for for drop tunings. Um, and it's something that's pretty handy, really, because it's you know if you just down tune your guitar, you're going to end up with kind of a really loose action and fret bars and all sorts of stuff and, and Jack just kind of takes us through the basic things that you need to do to just make sure that you kind of get everything right if you're uh, if you're playing on down tuning um, I think he also tackles how to balance out a Floyd Rose as well so even if you're Floyd equipped you're able to get down one of the big launches at NAMM was uh, Fender's new range of effects pedals and uh, Mike can you tell us a bit bit more about that we've got them here now haven't we yeah they, they've yeah. arrived uh, i've played through them all um it's fender's first official entry to the effects market they're calling it i mean obviously they've had like the fender blender before and there's been a you know a mini eq here and a and the switcher there but uh <laughs> so these are these are proper like uh this is a full range proper of... yeah six six strong range um developed with uh Fender's VP of Product Development, Stan Cote, uh, who uh, also uh, got the guidance of uh, Eric Clapton, The Edge, and Joe Bonamassa on the tone. So Fender's obviously tapping up its uh, famous friends to uh, to get on board with Edge these. Edge is on the board, isn't he? He's, he literally is on board. He's on the board oh, at it, Fender. It's good to get yeah. Joe Bonamassa's opinion on effect pedals, I think. Let's, yeah, not, yeah. let's, not, let's not get into this again. <laughs> <laughs> But my favourite thing about these, uh, two two great innovations before you even get to the tones, is the fact that they've got um, backlit level indicators, like Ooh. little dials and, and knobs, which is... I think they call it a light pipe, don't they, inside of the... Um, they actually the call control. it a light pipe. I think they do, yeah. That's great. They, and they've actually got switches, so you can turn the LEDs on or off, which I thought was pretty nifty when I uh, saw them in the flesh. But the best bit... Battery access? Yes. Yes. <laughs> Finally... No screwdriver, no pick, turning a screw, anything like that. Magnetic flaps. <laughs> <laughs> what the world's what been what waiting for. Yeah. for. They got quite a snap on them as well, so when you when you pull them, <laughs> satisfying. Be careful with them. <laughs> <laughs> this is this is going in a strange direction. <laughs> <laughs> So, uh, magnetic flaps. <laughs> Come on, we're better than this. <laughs> we're not, we're not. Oh, dear. 
Moving swiftly on, uh, there are six pedals in the range. There's a Pugilist Distortion, Level Set Buffer, Benz Compressor, Marine Layer Reverb, Mirror Image Delay, and the Santa Ana Overdrive. Um, there's, a, there's a good range of tones. They're all sort of based uh, around the sort of £90-ish mark. Um, I mean, the Santa Ana Overdrive is 160 but that has got two uh, different overdrive voices. Are they switchable? Um, is that like a two-channel? Yeah, thing? so that one's got two foot switches where the rest have got one. <laughs> And um, a boost as well. Yeah. Quite so, popular at the moment, aren't they? The dual. Yeah, yeah, they are. I think it's like the whole gain stacking thing, isn't it? it yeah. To, yeah. To get into that. And speaking of which, the Pugilist Distortion has got two gain stages in it, two sort of separate circuits, uh, and you can blend between them so you can get that sort of multi amp kind of sound with a with a, like a cleaner tone underneath with a bit of clarity and then the. The heavy uh, coming courtesy of another stage, so yeah, that's that. That was sort of my pick of the bunch at Nam, and uh, playing through them, that uh, that held true. I think uh, Fender onto a winner of that one. That's cool. Did you try the reverb? I did. I did. Um, there's a lot going on in that. Uh, I really like the fact it's got like a filter switch, so you've got really easy preset access to darker tones. So you just it like just rolls off just on the yeah. affected sound on the on yeah the, yeah on yeah the tails and... yeah. So yeah, it's good. It's cool, man. It seems like, you know, they've rethought really about a lot of this mm. with stuff like the... The know, battery like the, access. The battery access, the lights on the... That's really cool. Like the, little details. That it is really little details. Then, and, yeah. it, like, you know, there's enough pedals out there now just doing kind of clones of all the old favourites that it's cool to see some, some other stuff coming along, yeah, especially these... at that price point as well, because it's, you know, it's not crazy money. No. It, it's reasonable enough, and I mean they're talking about releasing more um, talk of signature pedals as well. So that would be very interesting. Okay. To not see John what Mayer. happens. Presumably not John Mayer at this stage. <laughs> but uh, yeah, who I mean, if the Edge does a signature delay, oh wow, yeah. Imagine that. Take my money. He's got a signature strat. He's got a signature uh, amp. True. Yeah. True. Yeah. Next mm. logical step. Um, yeah. So does, it, does the reverb have like shimmer on it? You're a big fan of shimmer mode. It does have shimmer. It does have <laughs> shimmer. It's got um, so it's got three different settings uh, and then variations on each. So it's kind of like six settings. So it's not the most logical layout to my mind. But um, one of those is shimmer. Can we hear some? Can you? Yes, we can. Yeah. Well, well what are we going to hear? Uh, I think. Actually, you're going to hear the marine layer reverbs just to just to get a bit of that uh, spacey vibe. Cool.
Cool. So that's that's the end of the show yeah. for the first yeah, one. Yeah, the cleaner is waiting to come in with the hoover and they're, they're kicking us out. Yeah. yeah. So I guess that's all that's left to say is that we, you know, we hope that you guys have enjoyed this and, um, you know, if there are other things that you'd like us to cover in the podcast and um, stuff you'd like to see or things that we've done and you'd like and would like to see more of, then please let us know. Um, yeah. We've already got some cool stuff planned for the for the next one. So yeah, please tune in again. Leaving <laughs> um, everyone in suspense there. Yeah, <laughs> I'm not saying anything. <laughs> and remember to check uh, Total Guitars Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram for uh, the latest updates and what we've been getting up to, and also MusicRadar.com for the latest news and uh, reviews and artist uh, coverage. As is customary on these things, if if you enjoyed it and. Uh, would like to hear more of these then please please feel free to go to itunes and leave us a review yeah we'll be back in a month so that's goodbye from us goodbye, goodbye.